On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. This is Innovation and Leadership, where we interview Navy SEALs, venture capitalists, pro athletes, best-selling authors, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of high achievers as we can get to come on the show. Today's episode is going to be from our mini-series that we created with Corporate Alliance, asking top CEOs and executives and entrepreneurs who have had very large exits specifically about their thoughts on leadership and people. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Today on the show, we've got Cameron Gunter. He's the CEO of Peg Development. Cameron, thanks for making time. Thank you for having me. So um, let's talk about this. You guys have raised $300 million in the last how many you know years since you've been here? We're, we started in 2002, um, so 15 years or so. And tell us about the kind of projects you've been doing so far. We do a multifamily. Um, is some of the first projects we started with um, in the hotels. We've done some office and retail. Uh, we actually, in back in '07, got out of the big retail stuff. Uh, it, it was just it's a challenging market, the retail world, and with the the REITs that are out there and some of the the bigger public companies that have lower cost of capital. It's something we just we decided not to get stay in that arena to compete. Um, we are doing some smaller stuff and there's potential to do, uh, s- some more master planning communities with retail in it. But from a standpoint of, of really being a retail developer, we've, we've stepped out of it and really focused on the multifamily aspect, the apartments, uh, where we have long-term uh, income and coming into us. And then also the hospitality component of, uh, development. We've really had some success in, in hotels and it's really helped build our company, because we have that ability to, to find the right locations and find the right brand and, and be, you know, have a relationship with the brands, the big brands. Uh, um, an example is last year uh, for Hyatt, we were developer of the year for all of, of America's. So it's it's a pretty cool um, little award that we got. I mean, it doesn't bring a whole lot of money. It was a 30-pound crystal. It doesn't, doesn't give you much, but 
it, it it shows that what our company's done and, and the relationships we have with some of these brands. And so about how many projects? You came on in 2002, is that right? Yeah, I started the company in 2002 with a another gentleman uh, named Richard Ellsworth. Uh, I bought him out of the company in 2005 when he's he'd been called uh, in a church position to um, go serve for three years. And uh, he asked if I would buy him out at that point. I did buy him out. And then um, since that time, I brought two other partners on one in 07 and one in 2009 to, to really deal with our capital needs and our growth. So, um, that, that's, that's been, you know, it's been a, a fun ride to do, you know, we'll do about 1.2 billion cumulative, um, through to date with another three to 400 million on the docket over the next year, uh, to two years. So, yeah, that's exciting. Well, um, the name of the show here, Leadership and People, let's talk about people for a minute. Before the show started, we were talking about a couple of people who have been examples to you. Um, let's start with your partner. Yeah, so the, the, the partner I brought in in 2007 was actually an investor with us uh, in 2005 who was introduced to me by my former partner uh, who we bought out. And we got him to invest in a project in downtown Salt Lake, an apartment project that, w- that failed. Who I actually had an, another uh, another guy we talked about earlier is Sean Bradley, who was in that project with a couple of other guys that that were trying to figure out how to get out of it. We came in and helped them um, really perform on an apartment project downtown that was really challenging. And so, because of of how we performed on that project and, and what we did to get it from nothing to now uh, to a cash flowing asset. Uh, we we built some good relationships. One is with the partner that I had buy-in in 2007, uh, where he bought 40% of the company, and I own 60. Uh, he is uh, his name is Reed Halliday. Uh, has a company uh, in he started he was a Goldman Sachs guy, and then he went out and started a, a wealth management company himself, a boutique company that really he focused on relationships and and focused on how to treat people and, and what to offer people versus maybe the way Goldman Sachs uh, did things in the past where there was, you know, less, less personal, more, uh, more, and they were more business. I think Reed has the, the idea of, look, relationships are important. I need to treat everybody the same. Uh, everybody should be important regardless of who they are. And just watching him and the way he treated me, the way he's treated some of our other partners or other investors, has been like he's has been friends with him for a long time. And I think as, as we as we continue to go through life together with him and with anybody else, I think the important thing is is everybody should be treated that way, regardless of you know what status you are uh, in in your company, whether you're at the top of the the food chain or at the bottom of the food chain that that look they, everybody has good ideas um some aren't some are but if we listen to them all i, I think it benefits us all and we treat everybody the same I, th- I think relationships grow and you just you just never know who's going to be a partner in the future so what's an example of of this you know being more dialed into them as a real live human Oh, I'd or just what does it feel like to work with him compared to maybe some other folks who aren't at his level? It, you, you never feel with, with with Reed. You never feel like you 
you're not listened to, right? So your opinion is valued. Um, at the same time, it makes you value his opinion as well. And so uh, another example is I was I worked for J.R. Simplot Company. And one of the things is I was going through, that was early in my career after I graduated from college. One of the things that, that he did very well, a lot of people don't like J.R., some love him. So, but one of the things that he did very well is he let the the employees, even the new employees, especially out of college, let them have a say. And and he did it in a way that nobody knew who was talking. So he had this innovation center that was this big room, and then they all had computers this back when we weren't, the technology wasn't what it is today. But they'd have a brainstorm session, and they would have everybody from the CEO down to the interns in the room. And you you could say your opinion right there. No one knew who it was. And some of the most valuable opinions were some of the younger people. Um, but implementation took the CEO or the, the guys that had the experience. So I, I think what using that example and, and seeing how Reed acts uh, interpersonally is is really what a good leader should do. And that's been a very good example to me. You know, you think about this thing that you said I've, you really feel listened to when you talk to him. It's funny, you know, I have a bunch of friends from Goldman or Merrill or, or Morgan Stanley or something, right? And I think there's a lot of uh, guessworks of what it's like to work at those places. And it's funny how the number one skill you bring up is his ability for people to feel listened to. Why do you think that makes such a difference in business? We all want to be listened to, right? Um so if if you, if you're if if you don't feel like you're listened to, then why do you care to do business with somebody? Right? You, you need to feel appreciated. We all need to feel appreciated. Not that we are or any of us are struggling for attention, but there's some level of appreciation that we all need as human beings, and I think that has a lot to do with um, or, or how it's that relationship is built. Is if if you're um, neglecting me or you're not paying attention to me and I'm off thinking of something else and why would I want to continue to do business with somebody like that uh, just because you know they may have think they already have that knowledge now and they don't need me um, and and that relationship may not go very far uh, down the road if you become partners or if, if you end up doing businesses because somebody now is the is is and maybe not to say the controlling partner but they have it already in their mind what they're going to do versus opening it up to other opportunities. So, and, and some may want to do that. I mean, th- not everybody works together as partnership, right? But if you can, and that's why I've liked Reed is because he's open. His mind's open. He's willing to, uh, to listen. He's also willing to give input, which is great. Uh, so learning from him now, I have that ability to, to listen to other people as well. It's interesting. It, it sounds like such a simple concept, right? Um, I think, well, I'll just ask you, why do you think so many of us, especially maybe ambitious folks or, or folks that have gone to leadership, why do you think we struggle to do such a simple thing? Why do we spend so much time talking and telling? Well, I, as I think, for me, an example is sometimes I think I have, I know that, I know the answer, right? Because I've had the experience doing it one way. And sometimes we get so stuck in how we did it before that we don't think there's a different way or we don't think there's a better way. 
Um, and I, I found myself doing that with my, my current employees that, look, I think this is the way to do it. And I've, I've had to step back and say, okay, there is different ways to do it. Now, sometimes ultimately we end up doing it the way that, that we talked about in the first place. Um, but a lot of times that's not the case. We've changed things at our company because of input from uh, different uh, people in the company, different partners, different um, staff members. And so I think it is that we have done it one way and we think that's the right way, but we don't open our minds enough to say, let's let's look outside the box. Let's see if that way does work and explore that. Um, sometimes it's easier just doing it the way we did it the first time. And so for somebody like your partner who, let's face it, he's a smart guy. He probably has some of those thoughts already. When he does fight that temptation and he listens first, what kind of an advantage do you think he gets by doing that? Uh, he sees other options, right? So he sees other ways that may be on... If, if it's a business deal, maybe it's more profitable. Maybe there's less risk in it, uh, and down the road there's more profitability. You know, we're 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 talking about uh, an investment now that, you know, he has his opinion on what he thinks he wants to do, which is a good opinion on it. But there's also some components that we think is a better way. And so one of the things I think we've gotten to on this one is a is a compromise that that works both. Uh, both the things that, that may be more risky on his side that, that are really cool, but then on our side where it's less risky but less cool, that we've, that we've combined them together to make a, a project work. And maybe the return's not going to be the most sexy, but it potentially could turn out to be a good return for both of us, and, and there's a compromise there. When you think about... Um, l- let's talk about big deals. You guys are talking about h- how big is the fund you're thinking about doing next? So we're, we're because we've raised silo or, or deals by deal by deal in silos. We call them silos, and we've raised almost 300 million um, deal by deal. We feel like we've have built a big enough track record to to launch a hundred million dollar fund, which we've we've hired a, a fund manager, um, a guy that has some experience with Bain and a, a little bit of experience as a junior guy there who's running it and he's putting it together. And so as as we you know as we launched the 100 million dollar fund it's uh it's is we've got some challenges ahead of us, right? We've got communication challenges to our current investors to say, "Okay, we we've had you come in deal by deal and now we're going to launch a fund where the fund has really is going to have to have that first priority uh so we don't have any conflicts to invest. We we'll, we will allow co-investment with us, but it it does uh, present some challenges, and there's some challenges also as we sit and listen. There's we've never done a fund before, and so you know we don't we don't know necessarily how to do it. We know how to raise money, we know how to do the deals, and so we brought this um, Jameson on to to help us you know run the fund and put the fund in place. And you know we need to listen to other people. We need to to, to listen to my partner. We need to listen to. Uh, other people have had that experience, uh, including you. I mean, you've obviously had some experience in, in raising equity and, and raising a fund. So it's important for us as, as we do this fund to understand all the dynamics of it It's a, because it's a challenge. And, and there's a lot of um, you know things that we don't know about the fund or about how fund um, raise happens and the big institutional groups that are out there. So I think this this idea of of leadership and understanding leadership 
has a big part in in that and how we and how we understand and implement this fund. Yeah. Um, let's talk about somebody else for a minute. You talked about having Sean Bradley as an investor and doing business with him. For starters, how tall is that guy? So Sean's seven six. Um, I, I like to when I meet with him, I like him to sit down and not stand up next to me because uh, I'm you know I'm six three and I'm usually uh, one of the taller guys in, in the groups. But uh, career wise, he went to the Seventy Sixers, right? Yeah, went to Seventy Sixers and then ended up with the Dallas Mavericks. Okay. Uh, what what's cool about working with Sean Bradley? You know, Sean's a down to earth guy. He's a um, I was raised on a farm in Idaho, a farm kid. He was raised in rural Utah, kind of in farm country, and so it's it's fun to to know that somebody like a Sean Bradley who is is a star pretty much. I mean, you know him because of his height and his basketball ability. But he's a down-to-earth guy, and he he's another guy that listens. He'll he'll call me on occasion and say, "Hey, tell me about this. How can you help me with this business I've just started? Uh, help me with relationships out there." So as you know, as popular and as as a high-profile guy, Sean Bradley is uh, he. I think he has that ability to look. I'm going to listen to somebody else that's had some experience and. Um, which which I appreciate. I also ask him for advice as well. So not necessarily how to, to dunk a basketball because that that's more challenging. But um, he's he's a very good guy, very uh, a very fun partner to be with, and a very personable guy. You know, it, it's funny looking from the outside in, thinking, you know, wealthy NBA star. You know, and we hear things in the news about whenever celebrities act poorly, you know, and being divas or whatever. Um, in a in a situation like this, I mean, it really sounds like humility is a competitive advantage for him. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's I think humility should be a competitive advantage for everybody. I think it opens up more doors and it makes if if you're able to absorb from other people, smarter people than you, whether you think you're smarter or not that I think it just opens up your mind to a lot of other opportunities to uh, evaluate and implement different strategies. Yeah. Well, l- let's shift gears here for a minute. You and I are both uh, members of Corporate Alliance, the, the C4 group. You know? You're a busy guy. You're building hotels in Alaska and doing all sorts of stuff. Why, why make the time for a group like that? Why? It comes to relationships. As we've been talking about leadership and relationships and business, um, sometimes you work out business deals with members of Corporate Alliance. Other times you just create that relationship that helps you talk through issues. Um, or they may have a relationship, right? So, you know, I've, I've found myself on occasion uh, talking to some of the members saying, look, I've got this issue. We're going through some growth. How do we scale this? Look, am, am I the right CEO? What do I need to do as a CEO? Um, how do you find? How do you know if you're doing the right thing as a CEO? How do you know if you've got the right people in the right positions? So, those things have been very f- helpful for me from a standpoint of it, you're building a relationship. It's not a uh, a high pressure situation, and a lot of times, uh, and I, my partner said, my other partner Mark Bingham says this all the time. He says it's lonely at the top, and what that means is sometimes you just don't have people to talk to about things that are happening in the company that that you shouldn't be talking about, right? You sh- they, they need to go and think everything's fine. Your employees, I mean, they need to know where you're at. But 
sometimes there are decisions you have to make that really take you to make them. And so an organization like Corporate Alliance helps it be not so lonely at the top. You know, um, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm thinking about, you know, the event you and I are both at on Friday. And uh, I think, like you said, you know, you want the investors to think you know what you're doing. So you're not necessarily telling them about the parts of your life you don't feel like you know what you're doing. You know, you want the staff to feel like they've got a leader who, who, who they should be trusting to lead from in front. So you don't always discuss everything with them at first. You don't want to freak everybody out, right? And for me, that like that event we were on Friday, you know, there's got to be 150 people there, right? And knowing that there's all these people going through the same kind of things and like telling the same kind of sarcastic jokes <laughs> about the parts of our lives that nobody else in our company has that exact problem if we're the if we're the CEO. But you're now in a room full of 75 CEOs and their spouses feeling like, okay, it's okay. I have these struggles. There's other people in life with these struggles too, and. Uh, Maybe it helps with the, the self-pity or the loneliness or those kind of things for me, I think. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that, you know, there, there's a benefit. And you feel comfortable, right? Now you've got, you've got business friends. Um, and I know some people in that organization are more than just business friends. They're friends outside, and they do a lot together. So it, it creates where you have some similarities in business and that where you're at, that now you have that ability to – escape or uh, make that your escape versus some other escape that somebody may do so yeah well listen we're getting close to the end of part one here why don't we close with a question um thinking about all the mistakes you have to made because everybody in business has made mistakes um what's something you wish you would have learned earlier boy that's that's a hard one because there's a lot of things i wish i would have learned earlier um probably probably the biggest one um, I started my career as a CPA, graduated from college, well, played football, went to college, got uh, got a degree in accounting, and went and started my career in accounting, and then went and became a city manager. I always had a thought, look, I'd love to be a business guy. I, I love that, that concept of having something myself. I grew up on a farm, so anybody that doesn't think a farmer is a, is a business guy that has their own farm that has to rely on mother nature to th- make things work is crazy. It's not just a farmer. They're business guys. Um, and so, that, I mean, some of that where you have your own, you control your own destiny, but it took me until when I was, how old was I? 30, mid thirties or so, uh, early thirties before I took the shot at doing something on my own. Um, which was good and bad, right? I, I got the experience to, to get to where I was. So, you know, hindsight, I probably would have said, look, was maybe should I have done a little bit sooner? Um, that, that may have been one of them. And then just after I did it, probably the ways I, I did it, I jumped in big time. Uh, we jumped into a, a $32 million project right off the bat. And with the experience that I had, it was probably a little bit too much. And we did okay and we were where we're at, but... Should have started smaller. Maybe life wouldn't have been so difficult to get to where we're at before the downturn. And so the downturn was a little tough for us, but we got through it, and it's it's been great. I like the stoic Idaho farmer. The downturn was a little tough for us. <laughs> I'm guessing there was some emotion going around. Yeah, there was, there was a little bit of emotion. It was uh, it, it, it was like that the year on the farm when you didn't have any rain for all year and you cut your crops and it, it didn't even come close to paying for what it, what it cost to cut them, let alone everything else up till that point. So it was, a, it was a little bit tough, but we made it through. I have great partners and, 
Uh, I think we, we learned from that, which is going to help us in the future for sure. That's great. Well, let's cut it off here for part one. Uh, make sure to tune into our next episode. We're going to be ask Cameron about what life is like when you're trying to do a $100 million fund. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you'll remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard uh, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. At Farmers Insurance, we have concrete evidence that parking under an industrial cement mixer, that's just asking for trouble. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.